Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, I came to Pastor Jason a while back and I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. And uh, this had been on my heart to share these things um, because I've been learning about this. So I'm not sharing with you something that uh, I've studied for, you know, 30 or 40 years and I've got it all figured out. As a matter of fact, I, I've probably driven Nate absolutely crazy. I keep saying, this is my last, this is the last email, Nate, this is the last email. I keep updating everything because as I'm going through, I'm like, no, wait, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. I keep trying to fix this or fix that. And I'm just like, I just want to make sure that it kind of makes sense because in the long run, it really isn't going to make a lot of sense to us. You know what I mean? We're, a lot of this is stuff that we'll just have to figure out as, well, we can watch the world figure it out as they go along, right? I have um, just a, a, a printout here. I know we don't print stuff out around here. If you guys want to just kind of pass those around. I made 40. I don't know how many people are here. So some of y'all couples might need to share. I don't know. But um, just as we get started tonight, we're, uh, my goal tonight is to get through chapters 10, 11, and 12. No, 10, 11, 12, 13, and whew, if I really get going, we'll get through 14. Um, because we're coming to a place where a lot of this begins to overlap. Okay, so the timeline is not necessarily the, the thing that we're following at these point, at this point in the book of Revelation. It's more, a lot of things are overlapping. And so you'll see, um, I think I have my little pointer here. This is a printout that I went online and tried to find somebody who had created a, um, a kind of a timeline thing that fit what I was teaching. And most of this, I think... I pretty much agree with, um, except down here at the bottom, and I'll explain that in a minute. But here's what I wanted us to see. This is basically what we've got is from this side of the, the screen to that side of the screen is the seven-year tribulation. Okay, you're with me there? And so, and what I wanted us to see is where as we go through these seals and trumpets and bowls, where they fall, and where we are, we've finished the seventh seal. Remember the seventh seal was the silence in heaven? And then we began the trumpets, okay? And this, it didn't, it doesn't print out as well up here, but I hope it's better on your, your, um, on what you're watching. But where we are is right here at this, between the sixth and seventh trumpet is what we've been looking at. Um, it was kind of the last thing that we were looking at. Again, remember there was a, there was a, there was a, a parenthetical section that came between the sixth and seventh seal to give us some uh, over over uh, some overview information that was going on, you know, that John was seeing. And we have the same thing between the sixth and seventh trumpets. We also see this parenthetical stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. But what I wanted you to, to see, and this doesn't show up as well up here, but if you'll notice, like this where it says seal number one, remember that was the first, that was the Antichrist on the white horse. It doesn't, and he was coming to conquer, it's not like seal number one happens and then it's over. And seal number two happens and it's over. Seal number three happens and it's over. If you notice on your printouts, it shows better. There's like a, it's darker on this end and then it kind of fades. Because honestly, these kind of, the, the stuff that's going on begins to overlap one another. So while uh, some of the things, it's not like, the white horse comes, and then that's over. And then the, then the red horse, and then that's over. It's not like the, the, this earthquake comes in this trumpet, and then that's over. And then we go to this, and that's over. They begin to kind of overlap, okay? And I, I was trying, <laughs> trying all day to think of an example, like, in life to make it so we could, like, go. It's, it's kind of like when, and I tried everything. I can't find, I can't figure anything out to make up an example. I mean, I was like, I was like, okay, how about a woman in childbirth, you know? Um, she, she finds out she's pregnant, and, and the things that, and we can say, like, she gets pregnant, nine months later she has a baby, blah, 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 you know, and we, and we see it that way, but it's not really. There's things that are happening all along the way, 
and things that are overlapping and things that are, like the changes don't just boom, 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 boom. It's a, it's a growth. It's a change. It's, you know, and there's things that are overlapping. So I don't know. That was kind of the only, I just tried all day. I was like, there's got to be some kind of illustration for me to use. But basically what I wanted you to see was how these seals and trumpets and bowls, well, I've lost my, there it is. Seals, trumpets, and bowls, how they kind of work into one another. And that that's three and a half year point, which is where we are in, in the system, we are kind of between the sixth and seventh bowls. Now, how much time is bet between the sixth and seventh trumpets? How much time is in there? We really don't know. They kind of overlap, you know what I mean? But, but we know that there are some things that happen from the sixth trumpet to the seventh trumpet that we can see that this three and a half year period has been reached because of some of the changes that are going to take place. So that's kind of where, where this is all led up to. Now, um, just so that you know, I, I kind of, I did, from what I could look at here, the most of this chart I agree with, except down here it says the two witnesses, and it's telling you that at the three and a half year point, the two witnesses and the 144,000 are raptured, and that is not going to follow with what we teach um, reading this from a literal standpoint, because there are things in farther chapters that, in, that show us that these witnesses are actually not raptured until almost the end of the tribulation. So they have this, whoever designed this, I didn't pay attention to who made it. I probably should have credited somebody before I just stole it. But um, <clears throat> they had a different, little different belief maybe on this first part. Uh, however, they do have the 144,000 Jewish, Jewish, what does it say, evangelists. Well, it's 144,000 Jews, okay, and they are at this halfway point. That is when they are raptured, okay? And they are out of here at that point. Now, that does not mean that no more Jews get saved. It does not mean that no more people get saved. It does not mean any of that. Just those initial 144,000 that have come through that much of the, of the tribulation, they get raptured at that halfway mark, okay? Um, so that was just a little bit. I wanted to get it. But do you see what I'm talking about? Am I, am I, if you look on your sheets, you can see how the, the shading kind of works into each other. So you see that it's not just boom, 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 boom. Another thing, one more thing that I want you to notice is that at that seventh trumpet, we have had six seals and six trumpets in the first three and a half years, okay? Those have been... Yeah, it has taken us three and a half years to do those 14 things. You know, I mean, it's not like John was counting these things like that. But it's taken three and a half years to get all those. Now, the, the remaining bowls or vials that we're going to go into, the remaining seven bowls and vials, which are the next sec succession of, of uh, basically, they will all, those six will take place. Halfway point, things really, really so far this is where it really, really gets great tribulation. Now, to us, we call the whole thing the great tribulation, but scholars and really smart people call the last three and a half years the great tribulation, and the first three and a half years is called the lesser tribulation, which means that right now, this is like really minor, this stuff we're going through, right? So they call it the lesser and the great tribulation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, now to see where I was going to. Okay, so just to run through real quick the, those trumpets, the first four trumpets, remember, um, were basically, well, actually all of the trumpets uh, mimic plagues of Egypt. So we kind of call this, uh, the trumpet period is Exodus revisited. Remember that a lot of these things are plagues that happen. The first four trumpets are plagues that really attack um, the physical creation. And then we get to the last three, and we call those the woes. Actually, we didn't. The angel called them, the, that these la said that these last three trumpets would be woes, or um, uh, I forget the other word that they use sometimes, but um, we call, I call them woe, terrors. They call them terrors is how it can also be translated. But they're the woes, and that was the fifth trumpet was those demon locusts. The sixth trumpet was the demon horsemen, Okay. Y'all with me? We caught up now to where we were last week. Okay, so we got, we have it all figured out now, but um, not really. But so we have, that's where, that's where we were. We, we ended 
on that sixth trumpet, which was the end of chapter nine of last year. Now, I want to, before we move into this part, I want to remind you um, something that I talked about last week that I think is kind of important as we move forward. Um, because we're going to start talking about beasts and dragons, okay? And a lot of people, call, they think they're all the same thing, and they're not. And remember that the, uh, when the angel released the locusts and the smoke and the fire and all that from the bottomless pit, that their demon king was also released. That is a demon king, okay? They have a demon king. That is not Satan, we need to realize and understand that there are many areas of heaven. The bottomless pit is not hell. It's also not the lake of fire. These are different places that are part of basically the underworld. We throw them all in one big lump and we call them hell, right? We, you know, it's either heaven or hell. But that's really not how it is when you, when you read the scriptures. There are different areas and different um, different parts of hell. And the different parts of hell have different leadership. It's all demonic leadership, okay? And it's, it's leadership that uh, really God, and, God the Father and Jesus are the only ones who can really put them in their place and keep them in their place. Remember last, you know, we can, you know, there's this, you know, we can pray demons out of people, right? We, we know that Jesus said we could do these things, okay? But there's a difference between praying a spirit out of a person and binding that spirit up and casting it into the bottomless pit, okay? We really can't do that. We, sorry. Sorry, y'all really, really spiritual people, okay? We really can't do that. We don't have that kind of authority. And the only one right now that has that is the Father and Jesus. And they're the ones that are keeping, that have bound these, these demons, these fallen creatures and put them into these the, the different parts and the different places of hell. And they're all there for their own specific purpose. You know, that what's really cool is that God like tells them what their purpose is, even though they think they're all that. So right. Okay, so this demon king is not Satan. Let's move then, we're gonna move to chapter 10. Because we just finished chapter nine. And in chapter 10, remember we're in that, we're in a a um, parenthetical period between the sixth and seventh trumpets. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to take, that there's, that there's a large period of time between the sixth and seventh. But what, it's, what it is, is John was given this revelation in this order, and he needs us to see what was happening in the background. As, all, as these trumpets are happening, this is kind of how they're playing out and how they're going over, you know, from, from and kind of overlap one another, and that there's a there are more than just it's, just, it's not just like, boom, the trumpet blew and it's done. You know, we, we kind of have that mentality that that's how it is and that's not how it is. So in chapter 10, <clears throat> we're going to, and I know we, I usually don't do this a lot, but we're going to read a lot of these scriptures this week um, because we're going to have, we, I, because if I don't, I can't keep them straight in my head sometimes. But chapter 10 starts, it says, then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven Surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head, his face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire, and in his hand were a small scroll that had been opened. He stood, on, stood with his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion, and when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. I'm going to go on. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. This is John saying, I was about to write this down, what they said. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. The angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It, it will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. So here we have this, this angel that John sees coming down from heaven. Understand, this angel is Christ. This is the glorified Christ. We know that because his description here is the same as the description of the glorified Christ that we're given many times throughout the, in, in the beginning of the Revelation and on throughout. Uh, the face that shines like the sun, the feet like pillars of fire. These are familiar 
terms that we talk about. Um, it was not just, an, not just any angel, okay, that came down. John sees the glorified Christ coming down with, this, with the scroll in his hand. Now the scroll has been opened. Okay, so guess what scroll this is? This is the scroll that had the seven seals on it, you know. So sometimes people can, it, this is not the scroll that has all of our names in it. And there are, there are preachers who I've heard teach about this scroll that has all of our names. You know, my new name that's written down in glory. You know, we have a new name. It's written down. It's not this scroll. That scroll was not good stuff. If you remember, as those seals were opened, good stuff didn't start happening. Okay, that was bad stuff. Those were judgments. This is a scroll of judgment. This is not the, the book that has our names in it. Okay, so we have to remember that as we go through here. Right at this point, we're still at that three and a half year point. Now, I'm not saying that it's to the day three and a half years, but it's, it's, we're crossing that threshold. Okay, there at that, in the middle of the, of the tribulation, we're crossing that threshold here. Um. The little book, well, see, some translations call this a little book. Um, our New Living Translation says scroll. That's why I read to you scroll. But that's what can be confusing, too, is people read some translation that just put it in as a little book, and they're like, oh, that's the book that has our names in it. It's not, because this is, he wouldn't have talked about the seals be, that were opened because he's referring to the seals that, that were opened, okay? So he's referring to that document, um, this is the book that was sealed in Revelation 5. This is a book of judgment. He puts one foot on the sea, one foot on the land. This was symbolic of total victory over the earth is kind of what this was. Um, there, was there were, in, in ancient days, they even tried to build um, statues that would stand on the sea and the earth in, in reverence to certain uh, gods, you know what I mean? And they would do that because... If they could get it done, which they never really did get it done, there was one that almost worked, but they couldn't get it done in you know in ancient days, and so it didn't. They you know it represented total victory over the earth. So he takes this stand. Um, let me see where I am here. Oh, I got more to read. So are you, everybody with me? Whew, starting in voice, uh, voice starting. The word there is almost voice. Oh, of the seven thunders. I want to. This is a. Uh, this can be a confusing thing because you know what? <laughs> we don't know what it is. We just really have never really been able to, by using other scriptures, figure out what the seven thunders are, okay? We know God's seven, seven is the number of perfection when it comes to God, so it has to be something, something perfect or something com being completed. There is... Um, teaching that I've heard and that I kind of lean toward. And he tells John, don't write this down. You know, have you ever, um, have you ever lost victory over something because you let the devil know that you had victory over it? Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's not, it's not really because of that. But there are, there are people, I, I speak in tongues, okay? I'm a tongue talker. I'm a, a prayer in tongues. Um, and and I, you know, I, that doesn't make me anything special. But sometimes when we're praying in tongues, the word of God says it's because we don't know what to pray. You know? And the spirit is telling us what to pray. And another thing that I truly believe is that the devil doesn't know what I'm praying when I'm praying in tongues. I just believe that. It just makes sense to me that he doesn't know what we're saying. You know, when I say, God, I want a new car, you know the devil's going to do everything he can to make sure I don't get a new car because he, he heard me say it. He knows, you know, there's things that he, there are things that he can adapt to because we, we give him too much information sometimes, I think. So I believe that these seven thunders are, it's telling this, if this is once we're getting ready, remember, for this final trumpet to blow when that thing blows we're gonna we, he, we those seven thunders will speak which will be the, the the pronouncement of satan's end he will absolutely you know understand this the devil knows the word of god he knows everything that's in there he knows he knows what revelation says but he's delusional okay he thinks that this is not how it's gonna go 
he doesn't, he just, he has, he knows what it says. He's read the book. He knows what it says. And he, but if he were to hear, I think, from the voice of God, those seven thunders about the seven thing, the, the last seven vials and the last seven and all the stuff that's going to happen to him and hear it from the throne room of God, he, it would, it, it's just not time for him to know and not time for him to comprehend it. So just one idea of what the seven thunders was. Did you have something you wanted to share on the seven thunders? Right, there's, yeah, he, she said that he told John, don't write it down, we're not to know. We really aren't to know this. This is probably information that isn't for our ears either at this point, okay? But when, the, when, he's, when this proclamation is made, those seven thunders get all excited <laughs> and start yakking. You ever knew her? Anyway, num- verse number eight <clears throat> Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I took, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the scroll, which just blows me away because like, just go to Jesus and say, give me the scroll. That's only if God tells you, do you go to Jesus and tell him what to do? All right, so he heard the voice tell him to go. So he says, yes, take it and eat it. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Well, I think I went too far in my notes. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So when we talk about this scroll, um, in, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet who was told to eat the scroll, to eat the prophecy. And when he ate it, it made his, summer, his stomach sour. It tasted sweet as honey in his mouth. <clears throat> this is a, called a Hebraism, H-E-B-R-A-I-S-M, Hebraism. And this is something that is common in Hebraic writings, um, especially when they talk about prophecy, is something that's sweet to the mouth, okay? As it's coming out of your mouth, it can sound very sweet and wonderful. But as that prophecy is fulfilled and is being consumed and is, you know, becoming reality, there is a bitterness to it. I mean, as we, re- as we read the Revelation, it can, believe it or not, it can sound really sweet. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get to some really sweet stuff. Okay, but it's a hard pill to swallow until we get there, right? It's a hard, there's a bitterness to it. And there's a, you know, it is all of these things that are happening, these, these judgments, it, you know, and the prophets had, um, I mean, it was, it was rough on a prophet. It is to this day, it's, it's hard on prophets that when they have to pronounce things that some, sometimes they can sound really good. But then whenever it's really happening, whenever it's really being completely fulfilled, there's a very, there's a bitterness to it. Okay, so that's, and we, this is typical, it's called a Hebraism. There honestly would be no other way for this to have gone other than him to, it to be sweet in his mouth and sour in his stomach. It's just a, it's a Hebrew kind of thing. You know, you got to watch out because something might be sweet in your mouth but sours in your stomach. <clears throat> so, um, let me see here. Where am I? Seven thunders. Sweet and bitter. Oh, and he says to John, you must prophesy again about many peoples. Um, I don't know the version, but there's another version that says that you must prophesy against many peoples, languages, nations. And looking at it, it could, be, it could have been done either way, okay? Um, the words are very much interchangeable. Um, to where he could have been saying you're going to prophesy against. Because most of the time, when we prophesy, or the things that, that John was sharing, he was prophesying against some leader, or against some nation, or against some authority. Okay, there's very much that we, pro- when, we when a prophet is prophesying, it's very often against something, not just, I'm just going to say it again, which is what the word again means. But, um, so... And we know, we know from the life of John, 
um, that after he left Patmos, he spent years doing just that, prophesying. He didn't, like, you know, you know can you, if I wrote the Revelation, can you imagine? I'd be done. I'm like, look here. I got this book. I am done, folks. You know, it's like I have this book in me that I know I'm supposed to write, but I'd always feel like if I ever wrote that book, I'd be done. And if ever, like, if anybody ever bought it, which they wouldn't, because it's all about patience. And who wants to read about patience? But, you know, like, nobody's going to buy that book. But um, really, I just, I have this thing in me. I just want to share this, the things that I've learned about patience, even though I'm still the most impatient person I know. You know, along the way, you learn these things, you, and you just think, man, people need to understand this. You know, people need to understand that. And, you know, so, but I know if I were ever to, like, become this author and have, a, like, a bestseller, I can't, I'd be like, I'm, I'm done. I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish. I would feel that way. I know, that's awful, right? Okay, so, maybe sometimes I'm too real. Okay, so that's chapter 10. That's the chapter 10. So he's just, again, this is happening before we're getting ready for that seventh trumpet to blow. Chapter 11 is also the first part, the first 13 verses of chapter 11 are about the, um, are are also um, filler information, parenthetical information. Then I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar. Count the number of worshipers. Do not measure the outer courtyard for it's been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1260 days. So what we're looking at here is he's told to go measure the temple. This is something that is is common in in the economy of the day, okay? Um, Things had to be measured. Things had to be, everything was, you know, measured with scales and and rods and these different things. So he's told to go measure it. So basically what we're seeing here, in preparation for that seventh trumpet, which is going to lead us right into this, that, that first bowl or first vial, we are seeing a measuring taking place. And God is saying, measure, you know, just go over there and see how many worshipers are there. You go over there and see, but don't mess with the outer courts because they're getting trampled and turned over to the Gentiles anyway. Okay, they're getting turned over. So he's saying to him, measure this temple Measure God's worshipers. He's not even interested in people who are half-hearted or people who are still, you know, living on the outskirts or whatever. He's not even interested at this point. I want you to go over there and measure. So he's, he's sent out basically to take account of this. For this to have happened, there must be a temple. Remember, we talked about the things that are leading up to this, to this, set, to this seven-year period. And one of the things that has to happen is that the temple has to be rebuilt. So... John is told to go to the temple and measure these things. So obviously there's a temple, okay, that has been rebuilt. Um, It may be rebuilt before or after the rapture of the church, so don't get too expensive, don't get too excited if they start building it. It will take years to build. It will take (laughs) much more money than Israel has to build it, basically. And um, it doesn't mean that 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 Church, that temple can't be built for 50 years before the rapture comes or 100 years before the rapture comes. There's nothing that indicates that way to us, okay? So it could be, or it could be built and completed after the rapture. Um, but we know that for this, these seven years to take place, the temple has to be built, okay? We don't, there's no guarantee on, it's not like we're going to have the rapture and then the first seal. You know, it's the rapture, well, there could be a thousand years between that and the first seal, I can't see this world making it that long, but, but there's nothing that gives us a time frame of the period after the rapture. <clears throat> so, he says, um, I will give power to my witnesses. They will be clothed in burlap and prophesy during those 1260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, Fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. 
They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. They have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth in every kind, with every kind of plague as often as they wish. So we see that these are the two witnesses. Um, we can move to the next, next thing, I think. Yep, there we are. The two witnesses. <clears throat> there is, <clears throat> excuse me, there is much discussion about who the two witnesses are. It is almost certain that one of them is Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who did not die but was taken up to heaven. It is almost, almost, probably for sure that the second one is Enoch, who is the only other man or human that we, ever, that we, that we have in the scriptures that does not die a physical death and is taken to heaven. These are the two that are taken to heaven. Now, for them to come back to the earth, they need physical bodies, okay? There's nothing in this, while they're in this, this uh, ministry that they're going to have for three and a half years. It says 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. He says, I'm sending these witnesses. They've been in heaven all this time, but I'm sending them. These are the witnesses that will be in Jerusalem. They will preach, they will preach, they will preach. They will evangelize. People will be getting saved right and left. It will be a huge, hugely successful ministry. But it's also going to really upset the devil, okay? And he will send, and he and his minions will try to take them out. We'll see how much some of this take place farther down the line. But they are able to breathe fire, which wouldn't that be nice? So they can breathe fire. They can make it not rain. They can make... Uh, the waters turn to blood. They can do these things that, um, again, these plagues from the Old Testament that we see happening in the Old Testament, they can make these things happen. Therefore, that people will be drawn to them because they are able to truly do these things. And he says that they will, <clears throat> they will prophesy um, for about three and a half years. I believe, and I believe that if we, as, as you stick with me, you'll see what I mean, that they start about this period, at, at about the three-and-a-half-year period, and that they, come, they are there for three-and-a-half years in this ministry and are raptured near the end of the tribulation. So you'll see, because you're going to hear about them again later. Even though we hear about them now, God's telling us about them. He's, you know, informing John, and, and he's hearing all these things. We will hear about them uh, and see them in action farther into the word. <clears throat> he says... Verse 7, when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them. This again, this is a beast from the bottomless pit. This is not Satan, okay? If it were Satan, he would be called a dragon. We'll talk about that in a minute. The beast that comes out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them. He will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all people, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. So when these guys do die, this beast from the bottomless pit, we'll talk about who that is in a minute, <clears throat> he is able to kill them, and they lie dead in the streets. This will be, everyone around the world will be able to see them. Now, you know, we can't see Jerusalem today, can we? Unless we go on to Earth Cam or whatever. And that's exactly the kind of thing that's going to happen. And, and with the technology that we have today, this will be televised. For three and a half days, they're going to lay there, and the whole world is going to celebrate that these, it's, oh, it's the end of the plagues. It's the end of all this stuff that's happened since, you know, since all this began, these, these three and a half, four and a half, five years ago, whatever, wherever it, wherever it actually is falling in here. It's, it's the end of all of that mess. You know, here's a gift for you. Look, it's a little dead witness. I got you. But this is what, this is how the world will be. They will be celebrating this for three and a half days. <clears throat> and then they get their comeuppance. But after three and a half days, verse 11, God breathed life into them, and they stood up, terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets 
come up here, and they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Remember, all through the Old Testament, you saw Israel defeat an enemy, and, they, and even Nebuchadnezzar, remember, oh, David's God, the God of heaven, he's the one. And it's a whole, you know, he's setting up, building his own uh, statue, you know what I mean? To be, they, everybody always, at the, you know, they'll always go, oh, yeah, yeah, they must have been right. Go, glory to God, glory to God. It doesn't last long, okay? But if we, this earthquake that happens here is really, it, does, it will happen again, not again, but it will really happen in chapter 16, 17, 18. Okay, when we get over there, okay, you'll see, you'll see why we're saying that this is more toward the end, where they are told, come up here. This is the last rapture, okay, before Armageddon is when these two witnesses are raptured. Remember last week we talked about the four raptures, okay? Um, so this is the, that'll be the last one, okay, that will take place, and that will be right before Armageddon happens, and we'll see that play out more of in, in, li- in the line of things as we go on down, okay? All right, let me see. Oh, do y'all know how many, how many temples there have been? I found this interesting when I was looking at this. It was, it, there have been six temples, other than you don't count the one in the wilderness. They, they, that was a tabernacle, wasn't the temple. But Moses had a temple in the wilderness, okay? Solomon had a temple. Of course, that was David's dream temple, remember? Zerubbabel had a temple. Um, that was the one that Nehemiah had, you know, when they, when they did the rebuilding then. Herod had a temple. That was the one that was uh, here when Christ um, was on the earth, was Herod, what was called Herod's temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD. The Antich- we call it the Antichrist temple because he will eventually possess it. And then we, there'll be a millennial temple that, take, that will Will, come, will be to come. That will be in the new Jerusalem. Um, that's good stuff. That's a couple weeks away yet. Okay, so anyway, I found that interesting that there were that many temples. <clears throat> okay. God breathe. Okay, so God brings them back to life, and he raptures them to heaven. That should happen in a pretty quick succession, the way that it's written there, that he kind of brings them back to life long enough for everybody to see what's done. And then before... You know, anything before, really before they can win any more souls, he says, that's enough. You know, come on up. We're, we're rapturing you. We're getting you out. Okay. That's chapter 10. Or that was chapter 11. That's the beginning of chapter 11, right? And where am I here? 11 verses 1 and 2, the temple. Oh, oh I've moved on, I think, haven't I? Zechariah. Oh, one of the reasons that we know that the, that this there are people who believe that Moses is one of these um, two witnesses. And um, there are people who believe that it's Moses. There are people who believe that it is Jesus. Um, those don't work because of the timeline. And when you think about it and where these people were <clears throat> and before Christ came and died and descended and brought captive, led captivity captive into, in, up to heaven, um, the Old Testament prophets and Old Testament saints went to the earth's, what was it called? No, I can't even remember. They went to a place called paradise in the earth, okay? That was what, that's what it was called, and that's where they waited, okay, to be taken to. When this all happened, for John, John is seeing these things happening, this is futuristic, remember, the things that John is seeing have nothing to do with history. It's all about, no, I mean, they have, they're based on some historical things that have happened, but it's all about the future. So for John to have seen, if it would have been Moses, John would not have seen Moses in a physical body because Moses is dead and Moses has a, has a spiritual body. He has a heavenly body. These things don't fit. And if we look at Zechariah chapter 4, he talks about um, the two lamp stands and the two oil stands. And he says, who are these? He asked the Lord, who, who are these that are standing in your throne room? And he says, these are my two witnesses. 
you know, and they're going to come and they're going to, you know, they're going to be my witnesses. In the end, it says, he's talking about the end of the age. These are some, of, these are my two witnesses. And so for that to have happened, it doesn't make sense because they were already in the throne room, but they had physical bodies. So it couldn't have been Jesus because that wasn't, do you hear him saying? This is 500 years before he had seen, Zechariah had seen them in the throne room. So it, it doesn't work for it to be these other things. That's why I don't believe that. I believe it has to be Enoch, okay, um, who was the only other physically uh, raptured or taken to the throne room. And they are still there to this day in their physical bodies, okay? They're, they're there in their physical bodies. So um, I don't know if I made that clear, but I don't know. Oh, Jerusalem, I think it's interesting, is called Sodom and Egypt. Y'all remember another place called Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And the Lord says here at this point, he says, I just call Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt, you know, which tells us that it's going to be, he's very disappointed because it, even though he loves Israel, their, their own home has been overrun with immorality. And the fact that he calls it Egypt instead of Gomorrah uh, leans toward idolatry, you know, because the, uh, the Egyptians have a very idolatrous um, religions. And so it leans toward those, where we don't have those idolatrous religions all over the Middle East anymore like that, you know. But Egypt, you know, their history has been this, all this idolatry. So he calls them Sodom and Egypt. <clears throat> all right. Are we ready for chapter, wait, nope, 11. Where am I at? Did I skip a page? Well, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 15. I don't know. Did I? Do you have it? I skipped it in my book. There it is. Okay. There it is. Maybe I got them out of, I got them out of order. Okay. That's what I was looking for. Chapter 11, verse 14. Um, 14 through 19, we're going to talk about this final trumpet. Not, I mean, there are other trumpets along, I mean, but it was the, it's the final of these seven trumpets. He says, then <clears throat> the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. And they go down through there and they say, verse 18, the nations were filled with wrath. But now the time for your wrath has come. It's time to judge the dead, reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name. From the least to the greatest, it is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. So it's time for the seventh trumpet, and as it blows, um, we get this proclamation. This is a pronouncement. Things in heaven are pronounced before they happen on the earth, okay? They are pronounced just like they're already, already completed. And we see him here, we see this angel proclaiming here that Christ is one. It's all over. You know, the enemy's defeated. Blah, 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 blah. He's given this whole thing. And so there are people who say, well, then, then everything ends in three and a half years. And that's not how it works, okay? Proclamations are made in heaven before they ever happen on earth. That is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's already done in heaven. And so at this point, this three and a half years, basically what he's saying here is I'm done messing with this earth. I'm done, we've, you know what I mean? We're, I'm done, I'm done. Um, it was bad enough when I left, when I raptured the church and the age of grace was over, but this three and a half years, I'm done. We're, it's done. I'm telling you, victory is on the way, okay? And then it's the beginning of these horrible, horrible vials that begin to get poured out. And basically at this point, there's, I mean, there never was any turning back, but it's like where you feel like the pedal to the metal here. 
in the last three and a half years, they will be pedal to the metal. The way that the bowls are described throughout this is that they happen quickly, 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 quickly. Because they saw those seals and trumpets take their three and a half years. Now we've got half as many, if you added those together, to go in just that last three and a half years. So it begins to happen very quickly. Um, <clears throat> this is, this seventh trumpet puts us directly at the midpoint of the week, directly at the three and a half year period. So we've seen, John is seeing all these things and God's saying, okay, for 120 or 1260 days, which is three and a half years, these witnesses are going to begin this prophetic ministry. And listen, while that's happening, while all these horrible bowls of, of terror are being poured out, people are still getting saved. People will still be saved. People will still be getting saved. Now, I don't want to be one of them that's here for that period of time. I can't wait to talk to some of them in heaven because I think that's going to be interesting. Um, but, but people will still be getting saved. Remember, these three and a half years, these, these evangelists, these two witnesses are doing their job. Okay, and these things are starting to happen now. Um, this is, many see this, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I can't make it make sense to me, but it might make sense that this is referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Um, we know that there's a, and I mean, we, we'll see it mentioned later, there's a judgment seat of Christ, and that is, where, that is where all the good folk are judged. Okay, that's the good one. That's the one we want to be at, okay? We do not want to be at the great white throne judgment, okay? That's the ugly one, okay? That's where the... That's where the bad people are judged, okay, is at the great white throne judgment. And so um, there, there are people, and there, the doctor, or I'm sorry, Finnis Dake, who we deal with here, he, he says this is the, where it's pronouncing the great, um, the judgment seat of Christ. It's not necessarily that it's taking place. People think that because it's put right here, it means it took place at three and a half years, the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not sure. And he's not sure, and he's not even sure that it's really referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Because it does talk about, and basically, I think if you just read it, like, well, like what it says, in my opinion, it's like, this, it's time for the good to get what's coming to them and for the bad to get what's coming to them. That's kind of how I see it. Now, you can call that the judgment seat of Christ, I guess, and, and it may be. But like, I, I couldn't wrap my head all around that um, and get that. And so, go home, research it. See if you can figure it out. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I don't think it matters. I think what is a proclamation that this is it. You know, we're wrapping things up. We're going to wrap things up here is what he's saying. Um, the temple is open. The ark is visible. And understand that this ark, we will, this, will be the, this will be the opportunity for the world to see the ark that is sprinkled with Christ's blood on the mercy seat. You know, we will have been up there. We might have gotten a glimpse of it. You know, I don't know. We might have gotten to see it. But at this point, the entire world will see it. Um, okay. Now to chapter 12. All right, where am I? Okay, Th this next part, 12 and 13, will move rather quickly. Although, what, it just amazes me that these, these 12 and 13 are two chapters that are so argued about when you start looking at everything figuratively, they really get argued about. When you start looking at it literally and uh, symbolically, there is a lot of symbolism in this, but if you really trace the symbolism back to other parts of the Bible and not some other guy's opinion, you'll see that it sort of makes a whole lot more sense. He says, then I saw witness, then I witnessed in, witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Many have seen this over the years as being Mary. Okay, um, this is not Mary. This woman, if you go back to the story of Jacob, okay, and his dream, his third dream, third or fourth, his dream, I have it in, in my stuff there, but I don't feel like reading it right from the Bible. He's, his dream, remember, he saw, he saw the sun, and he saw the moon, and he saw the 11 stars, okay, which was who? His mother, his father, and his brothers, right, would all be bowing down to him. 
Look, it's the same. If you, t- if you look at this, you've got, the, you've got Jacob, who is the sun, okay? Rachel is the moon, and the stars are the brothers. We have, and who, do Jacob, who does Jacob and his immediate family, who do they become? They become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the nation of Israel, okay? When John saw this, he knew what it meant, okay? Because I guarantee you, he knew every dream uh, in order that Jacob had. They, they, knew, you know, they knew this stuff, and he knew who this meant. And this says that she, uh, the sun and the moon, this is the family that becomes Israel. Revelation is a futuristic book not a historic book. He would not have been seeing Mary giving birth to Christ, okay? Now, is Mary a type of this woman? Possibly. You know, throughout history, you know, Hitler was a type of the Antichrist. Uh, You know, these people have come along throughout history that have, have symbolized or been types of or or precursors of things that were to come spiritually. But this is the nation of Israel is who he sees here. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head, <clears throat> on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Now, there are people who say, oh, he saw Herod. He saw Herod who killed all the babies when he knew that the Christ child had been born. Again, he is seeing something of the future. He is not seeing historical stuff happen. He's seeing future happen. And so this is not Herod. She gave birth to it. This is, oh, by the way, this is the dragon, okay? When you see dragon in the Bible, that is Satan. Okay, he is Satan. He is not the beast. We'll talk about the beasts as we go here. Okay, but when it says dragon, we're talking about Satan. Okay, we're talking about the big guy. Well, the, you know, guy who thinks he's a big guy. Then she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Oh, this is where they ran um, away and they went to Egypt to live or what, you know. And they went, and so, yes, that was, that was a type of this thing that's going to happen when, when Mary and Joseph and they, they ran. These are the things that... <laughs> It doesn't mean that that's what he's seeing. He's seeing something new here. He's seeing something futuristic happen. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So basically, what we see here, when it says that he took and wiped a third of the stars from the heavens. Basically, what we're seeing here is we're seeing a battle happen with, between Michael and between Satan. And as Satan loses, he is taking with him one-third of the angels, which we've all heard that there's like one-third is meant, you know, one-third of the angels are fallen angels. This is where we get that. Now, that doesn't mean that today one-third of the angels are fallen angels. They will be then, okay, because he will take one-third of the angels with him when he is thrown out of heaven. Yes, folks, the devil is in heaven today. People get blown away by that sometimes. It's like, well, how else could he be up there accusing you if he wasn't there? The devil is in heaven. Now, we read in other historical books of the Bible about another time that Satan was cast out of heaven. If, if this is real, okay, and if that's real, we're talking about a couple times he's been thrown out of heaven. He was thrown out of heaven, bef- he was thrown out of heaven before the fall of man. That is why he is the old serpent. He's referring here. Remember the guy in the garden, okay? This is the guy in the garden. 
he was thrown out of heaven already for trying to usurp God's authority. We know, you know, we know the Sunday school stories, right? Okay, so this is, this is what's happened. He was thrown out. When he convinced man to fall, he was then given, given the rights to go to heaven to accuse the brethren. Okay, that is where our fall gave him a doorway back into heaven because we fell. Therefore, he can go there and he can accuse us. Now, thank God we have Jesus who is our defender in heaven too now. But right now, folks, Satan, he goes, he, he, it, the Bible really doesn't say that he goes back and forth. It says that he's in heaven. He says that his angels or his uh, spirit, his uh, demons, they're the, they go back and forth. They're reporting to him. Hey, guess what? You're not going to believe what Jim did yesterday. Bring that one to the Father. <laughs> That'll be the end of Jim, you know. They'll never let Jim teach again in that church because they find out what he did, you know. And that's, what, that's what's going on. We did that when we fell, when, we, when sin entered that garden through that old serpent. So he's letting us know here, it's the same guy. He's in heaven, but he's going to lose this battle. Um, oh, my, I went farther. Anyway. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Um, the woman, futuristic. I gotta flip my pages here. The red dragon <clears throat> always represents Satan. So you'll see here in chapter 12, and then when we talk about him again in a few minutes, I swear, just a few minutes, in chapter 13, you'll see a change take place, or you'll see the difference between this dragon and the beast. So it says that he has seven heads, um, he has ten horns, and he has seven crowns, and that those crowns are on his head. Okay, these are the historical crowns that he has today. This is what he's got. And they come from those seven historical oppressions of the nation of Israel, where he was basically behind it all. And so when his people on earth, uh, it, they, when they put, the Egyptians put them into bondage for all those years, that was a crown for one of Satan's heads, okay? Uh, the Assyrians, the same thing. Babylon, where they were for 70 years. Medo-Persia, this is when Daniel was in the lion's den. Greece from Alexander the Great when they oppressed, they oppressed Israel. The old Roman Empire, that was Jesus and John's day. The revised Roman Empire, which is still to come. Okay, these are crowns that he will already have upon his head, okay? So this, he has been behind all of these things through all of history. So there, there's a little bit of history here, okay? But, but we, we see that it's not, it's not, it's still not throwing us back anywhere. It's saying that today, in heaven, he's wearing him seven crowns because he did, he, he was successful in oppressing Israel those times. Um, in Revelation chapter 17 that we'll get to in a couple weeks, maybe next week, it says that the um, eighth comes from the seventh. So he will actually get another crown, okay? But it will be born of the seventh one, and that's more for down the road, okay? Once he has his eighth crown, then he's heading for Armageddon, basically. That's where, you know, that's, that's as many as he's going to get. All right, so in verses 4 through 6, then I witnessed, no, wait, where am I? 12, yeah, 4 through 6. Okay, so Satan is thrown from heaven at this, I say the midpoint of the week, but you know, it's not at exactly three and a half years or whatever we're talking about, that area in the middle. Remember, this is just the seventh trumpet that's going on. <clears throat> Stars are probably fallen angel. The woman is Israel. The child, oh, the child that she gives birth to, okay, <clears throat> the child that he, she gives birth to is what we call the man-child. We talked about them a little bit last week, the 144,000 uh, Jews that will become saved, okay? So in, at this time, that's all coming to a head. We're going to see right here, and remember, in the, about the mid midpoint, we see that those 144,000 are going to be taken to heaven. So <clears throat> um, we see, and he's wanting, before this happens, he doesn't want there to be any more of those. So he's going to try, and he's going to wage this war. Um, some people use this as a mid-trib rapture scripture. Um, and so I don't see it that way. I don't think it makes everything else fit if you, if you have a mid-trib mid mid rapture. 
Um, the fleeing woman is a remnant of Israel. Oh, wait, I didn't get there yet, did I? Okay, yes, I did. Where did I? And the woman fled into the wilderness, yes. And so this is, this is the rest of Israel that will flee, okay? The 144,000 will be taken, but the rest of them are going to be, are coming under attack by the Antichrist at this point, okay? As all this is happening, they are coming under attack, and many of them will flee, a remnant will flee into the wilderness, it says, to a place uh, where God has prepared a place for them. Um, those, those places will be, if um, prophecy teaches us correctly, those places will be Egypt and Jordan. Um, well, because Daniel mentions Ammon, um, Edom, and Moab, that these are the places Daniel says that that remnant runs to, which nowadays are Saudi, no, not Egypt, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia and Jordan are there, will be the refuge, will be the place. They will give the Jews running from Israel, the, the, uh, the remnant, they will give them um, safe harbor. <clears throat> then in verse 7, it says, then there was a war in heaven. Um, it has come at last, salvation. Okay, and again, we have these proclamations that are taking place here in chapter 12, verse 10. Um, it's a heavenly pronouncement. Again, this is something that is being proclaimed. It's not necessarily happening at that moment, but it's a proclamation. As far as God's concerned, it's done, okay? But it still has to work its way out on heaven. And we see with this proclamation, um, it, basically then it starts to talk about the rest of us here and how we will overcome. It says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by our testimony of the works of Christ, and by not fearing death for Christ. And so, because at this point, if you are going to be a Christian, you will probably die, okay? And there will be many who will say, I, I can't do that, or I can't, you know, can't, that's, it's not going to work for me. I can't handle, you know, the horrors and the tortures that they're going to put us, that we're going to be put through. Um, by the Antichrist. So, but he's, he's telling us here, he says, you know, please, um, he, he says several times throughout um, the, the, the next chapter or so to, to, to be persevere, persevere, persevere. Christians are going to have to persevere. Um, at the end of chapter 12, we see that um, the Satan recognizes that his, his time is coming to an end, okay? He knows his time's coming to an end. At this point, he understands it's times, time, and time. Times, time, and half a time, which means two, one, and a half, which means three and a half. So he knows he has three and a half years um, at this point to get, um, to do what he wants to do. <sighs> okay. Mm. Okay, oh, and then down in chapter 15, uh, we see that the Antichrist and their armies chase the Jews that they can find. They chase them. Um, it says that the earth helps the woman, opens up and helps the woman. Um, it reminds me of Korah in Exodus when the earth opened up and swallowed his whole family because he was rebelling against the leadership of Moses. Um, then there will be, and during this period here, <clears throat> Satan will be challenged by Russia, basically, is what it comes down to. He will be challenged by Russia, and he will have to turn his attention to Russia, which is a way of God giving a little bit of respite to those fleeing Jews and those hiding Jews, because at this point, Russia is attacking him, and he has to go to work the other way, fighting with Russia. He will win his battle with Russia eventually, but it will be a very costly one. We'll see later on um, when in the Bible where it describes these, this battle with Russia that he has to send out envoys to look for people to come and fight with him. So, you know, when, when, when the Antichrist has to start um, begging for people, you know, it, it, you know that he's getting desperate at that point. But he, he, will, he will defeat Russia. Um, right before the Battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> there is a remnant of Israel that remains in Israel at this point. So it even says that there are some that will stay behind. You know, they're, they're dedicated to Israel, and it's their land, and it's their home. And so many of them who are devout will stay in Israel, <clears throat> and it will be, it'll be a horrible challenge for them. 
Um, and then at the end of chapter 12, Satan takes his place. It says he takes his place along the shore of the sea. So um, he is, he, his battle is over as far as with Michael. Okay, he lost, he hits the earth, and now it's time for some other beasts to take place. I just want to tell you just for a minute about the three, these beasts here at the end. We won't, we won't go into the next chapter, actually. But basically, <clears throat> beasts are symbolic, and they represent kingdoms or kings. Sa- there is Satan, the dragon, okay, those are the same. There is the beast of the sea, and there is the beast of the earth that we're going to read about next week as we get into this. Basically, you have Satan, you have the Antichrist, who is the beast of the sea, and you have the false prophet, who is the beast of the earth. Okay, so the three of them make up an unholy trinity. I do that with air quotes because there's nothing in the word of God that says that these three are anything like a trinity, okay? But when we look at the way things, you know, when we look at things, we can see that, right? You know, where, um, and if you look throughout history, many of the, the uh, precursors to Antichrist that we have seen, many of, like Alexander, it was Alexander and he had two buddies, basically. It was, you know, these, pe- these people who have oppressed Israel, these people who have these, this power. Hitler actually had two assistants that worked with him. I knew their names and I forgot it because, anyway. But, um, he, you know, these, these powerful people often come in sets of three, you know. And so we see here that it's, this, it's Satan. He's the dragon, okay. At this point, he's standing on the shore, which means he's between the sea and the earth. And from the sea will come the beast of the sea. We'll talk about that next week. From the earth will come the beast of the earth. <clears throat> and these are, the, this, these are the ones who will be at work. Here on earth, it's not necessarily Satan fighting this battle, Satan doing this. It's these beasts, okay, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet that we see at the end. Um, Let me see. Yeah, you know, everything that God has, Satan tries to counterfeit it or make it, you know what I mean? So I can can see him saying, well, I've got my little, my, uh, my Christ and my... Holy Spirit, and it's the Antichrist and the false prophet who's going to do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. So he will make that attempt. Um, He'll probably win some, but he's going to lose a lot too. Okay, so we will start in chapter 13 next week.